It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
This is uh, the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is a former Boston Globe health columnist and the author of three works of nonfiction, but she has uh, written a new book uh, based on, uh, well, it's it's a uh, being called a medical thriller about gene editing and um, CRISPR technology and we're going to find out what that is what what it's all about and and uh, why it's so terrifying <laughs> from uh, author Judy Foreman who joins me by phone hi Judy welcome to the show yeah thank you good morning um d- please explain to me i was just talking with somebody a uh, thoracic surgeon who was talking about new technology and um and and he was talking about uh, genomics as being sort of the new frontier in uh, battling uh, disease and and uh, uh, maladies of all sorts. And and it was way over my head, and this probably will be too. But what exactly is CRISPR? That's an acronym for something, isn't it? It is an acronym, and you are not alone if you feel like this is over your head. Lots of people do. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it's worth it's worth uh, having the patience for for listeners and for you and for the, everybody to try to figure it out because it is here to stay. And it's really, uh, as you said, it's it's scary, but it's also incredibly promising. So CRISPR is C R I S P R. And I'll tell you what it stands for, but you will definitely not remember this. It stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. In plain English, that just means it's a string of so-called letters, the building blocks of DNA, in a certain order or pattern that people can pretty easily identify. So that's it in a nutshell. But basically, uh, CRISPR is a, is a way to edit genes, to cut and paste genes in our DNA. You can put genes in, you can take genes out, you can modify genes, and that has enormous potential for good and uh, potential harm. Now, you were writing uh, science and, and health uh, articles and columns for the Boston Globe, um, what what turned you to the idea of um, basically a horror story about CRISPR technology? I I I don't know. Um, I'm, I've been fascinated by CRISPR for years and by gene editing, by molecular biology in general, and it just you know everybody always asks authors where their idea came from, and I remember reading something 
from Stephen King saying, don't even ask authors that. They never know. And it's true. I don't know where it came from. I was fascinated by the idea that you could tamper with, with the, the genome, with genes, and actually get, get rid of diseases. Um, and then it occurred to me that if someone were evil, they could introduce a disease, which is exactly what the evil geneticist in my book does. He takes uh, a healthy gene out of three embryos and inserts a, a disease gene, a fatal disease gene instead. And, you know, once I got that idea, then I had to play with, well, what could this guy's motivation be? And I, I figured that out. And I knew he, to make it really um, a serious thing, he would have to do it in either eggs or sperm or embryos. Um, you can also do gene editing in all the other cells of the body. And those other cells, those changes don't get passed on to future generations. But if you, if you mess around with embryos or eggs or sperm, those changes can get passed down to future generations. So I wanted to make this as malevolent as possible. Um, <laughs> also, you know, I spent a lot of time doing research trying to figure out, well, what disease? So I combed through the websites on so-called orphan diseases and genetic diseases, and I wanted something that would kill the babies of these uh, embryos that had been tampered with, um, but not right away, to give time for the disease to develop and for people to wonder what in heaven's name was going on. But I also didn't want the babies to suffer for too long. So it had to be a disease that basically killed the babies about a year after they were born. And that's, that's the disease I found. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Stephen King because I, uh, I, I heard him once uh, asked, it, 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 unfortunately, it wasn't an interview by me, but he was um, he was asked uh, if he wrote to a muse or to a schedule, and he said always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> oh, I envy his discipline. Well, I, I don't write that way. I tend to write in spurts. <laughs> well, that's when I, that's what I was going to ask. And and how much different is writing this medical thriller than all of the other writing you've done in your career? Well, that is a great question because you know for decades I was a medical reporter at the Boston Globe, and when you're in in journalism, you tell the truth for one thing, and you put all the important information right up front in the first paragraph, then you, it's like they think of it as an inverted pyramid, so you put the really important stuff right in the top, and then you sort of dissect it in a logical way, leaving absolutely no mystery if you possibly can, and you develop it, and you buttress your sources, and you quote people accurately, and you attribute things, and it's all very, basically pretty orderly and logical and uh, straightforward and reliable right, and reliable yes you can believe that you're not trying to confuse people um in writing a novel is completely backwards <laughs> you don't tell everything you reveal things slowly like a little trail of breadcrumbs and my editor very smartly suggested you know i just throw in some red herrings some things to confuse people. Well, you definitely don't do that in journalism, but you do do that in mystery writing. And then, you know, I had a huge um, whiteboard with chapter by chapter and what happened when, and then I switched the order of things around as it felt right to do. And then you have to remember 
what you, I mean, you know what happens, but your characters can't know what happens before they know what happens, you know? So you have to, like, rewrite things so that the characters are up to date with what you've told people so far. It's much more complicated than writing for a newspaper. But it's fun, too, I have to say. Well, in college, I had a, a journalism instructor who said um, that nothing I said mattered and that everything I wrote should be attributed to someone. Yeah, yeah right. That's exactly right. That's right. It's not your voice. In a column it is, but in a regular news story, no, it's, it's your, your report. You really are reporting on what your experts or your sources are saying. Now, as you say those things, Judy, I can't help thinking that that sounds a little old school, that we're not, we're not seeing those standards and, and those policies as much anymore. Certainly not on, on TV. <laughs> uh, you're right, and, but old school was right. Um, there's an awful lot of opinion, on, especially on broadcast TV, not radio so much, at least the radio I listen to. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, opinionating and opining on, on TV. It crosses the line a lot. But as uh, newspapers make the transition to, um, to... That's my favorite, but also online. I, I still see that as uh, standard, kind of high-standard high, high standard, uh, journalism. But, um, you know, I, I think it's much worse on TV. Oh, but yeah, in absolutely. Novel, but and in a novel, it's uh, a little bit the same thing because, you know, my particular voice as Judy Foreman shouldn't be coming through. What what you should hear or subconsciously hear when you're reading a novel is the, the voice of the characters, you know. Um, I mean, my voice as the writer would be, in the non-dialogue parts, but you, you sort of have to stay in character. And that was another thing I had to work at was to not have it sound reportorial, to not have the prose sound like a, like a reported piece, but to have it be part of the drama, to kind of keep my reportorial self out of it. Um, well, it's so, a, that's I, so, such a funny um, switch from yeah. doing reporting where you're trying to keep your voice out of it to um, telling a story and, and trying to find your voice for that. Yes, exactly. You're asking very perceptive questions. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Of course, I did a lot of, re I used my reporting background to interview, you know, a lot of scientists and ethicists and uh, the part about uh, that takes place in the, in the fertility clinic, I, I went into great depth with um, a woman who had gone through in vitro fertilization, and I put a lot of that in there. And then that was too much, so I took it out. I mean, the whole process is a lot of putting stuff in and taking it out or moving it around. Um, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, kind of. Um, so my reporting background certainly helped, but then it had to get out of the way. Uh, it's, it's a funny... <laughs> More with author Judy Foreman, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Judy Foreman, straight ahead. In the process of of writing this book, it, it it's it's so much different. Did you know going into it what the story was, or did the story kind of unfold as you were writing the book? Kind of some of both. I knew the basic trajectory of the action, of the plot. And then, uh, I mean, I had some moments of you know, eureka moments or inspiration moments. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there, and there, there were parts of it that just wrote itself. And, you know, you get your mind into the mind of a character and um, it kind of takes off. And that was really fun, those parts. You know, you know, it just, um, it, I, I let it flow. And, uh, you know, the plot took some, some twists that I hadn't even imagined at the beginning. And that was, that was sort of the, the creative process at work. And it, it was really fun. It's a, you almost like you sit back and let it happen and watch it happen. Say, Holy cow, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> I've, I've often <laughs> asked writers if, if the characters they've created ever surprise them. <laughs> and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the, the answer is very often yes. Yeah, I, I think it is, yes. And one thing that has surprised me was um, my editor, when she was reading the first volume, I, she wanted me to change the names of some of the characters because they sounded too um, old-fashioned. And I want, she wanted me to use very occurrent uh, names, for, especially for the, the children in the story. And so now when I reread the book, I think, who's that? Who's that? Because you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to know them as different people. When you're, putting, when you're, you're coming up with um, a story like this to be told in a novel, um, which comes first for you, Judy? Is it the story and then you cast it with characters that this is likely to happen to? Or is it sort of the other way? You come up with characters and then things that they would likely get themselves into. Well, for this novel, it was the former way. I, I had an idea for the plot. In fact, I'm a science writer by trade, and uh, so I did a lot of the research on CRISPR and um, a very eminent uh, Harvard geneticist, George Church, was extremely kind to me. He let me into his office. He's a super busy guy, and he explained CRISPR to me, and then he was very nice. I fact-checked everything, all the science with him over and over and over again. And uh, that was incredibly helpful because I wanted to make sure the science was right. I'm now working on a new novel, which is starting out the complete opposite way. It's based on a woman I have met in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is uh, near a place where we go sometimes in the summer. And she intrigued me so much that I'm writing a novel based on her character um, and, you know, sort of developing the plot around what she could do. Um, she's a scallop fisherwoman, and um, she's going to be the one who dis discovers evil, and uh, then, you know, then the truth comes out. So it's actually a totally different way for these two different novels, which is fun, but I'm just sort of going with the flow. But does that... But does that um but does that change um, 
what you learned in the process of of writing what i i i'm guessing from your bio is your your first thriller yeah. you know you you learn something and then you, then when you go to write the next book you carry some of those lessons forward but if you write a very different way does that um negate some of the lessons you learned the first time around Boy, you really ask good questions. Uh, I I don't know yet. Um, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, the the second one involves a lot of research into things that I don't know much about. With the first novel, CRISPR, I've been, I've been a medical writer for ages, so I really understood that territory uh, pretty well. The the second novel involves me learning about stuff I had no idea about before. So in that sense, it's very different. But I think the same basic process will have to be, you know, uh, basically you get a whiteboard and, and figure out what happens in each chapter and then flip it around if you if you want to. Um, but, you know, the science has to be absolutely right in both in both cases. And the process of the character, the good guy, or good woman in this case, discovering uh, what's wrong has to sort of evolve in an organic way. And I'm not there yet. I I hope you talk to me in a couple of years when the next one comes out. Yeah, I I (laughs) hope I do too, because you're a lot of fun, Judy. Um, Thank you. are, Are medical thrillers becoming a genre? I think so. And um, and did it start? Best... Did it start with Frankenstein? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it kind of started with Michael Crichton and Robin Cook. And I have to say, Robin Cook wrote the blurb for one of the blurbs for my book. Oh. And I don't know him. I call. I figured out his publisher. I left a message with the publisher asking to speak to him and thinking this is going to go nowhere. And uh, I was out taking a walk with a friend, and my phone rang, and it was Robin Cook. And he was the sweetest, loveliest man. And he said, sure, I'll blurb your book. So I sent him a copy, and um, we chatted and uh, chatted some more. And um, he was kind enough to blurb my book. I mean, here he is. He's written 39 medical thrillers. He's now writing the next one, his 40th. Um, And he, he was just the nicest man. So that was just a little side side story but um yeah he's a master of the genre as is michael crichton um and um, no, um yeah yeah so um it's it's a it's a great yeah i think it is a genre now um and it's i guess it's part of the i don't know if it's officially part of science fiction or mystery uh, i don't totally understand how the publishing world categorizes things um but it's not intuitive <laughs> put it that way <laughs> um <laughs> When you were researching the book, um, as as a first time novelist, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to get um, really credible people as sources for for research you're doing. Did your background at the Boston Globe help a little bit with your credibility with? Uh, people that you interviewed and and used for research for the book? 
Absolutely. I mean, without that, I would not have gotten in any doors. Yes. No, that. It's a lot that, different uh, saying, you know, I'm I'm the former health writer for the Boston Globe or, or science writer for the Boston Globe, and I'm a first-time novelist. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I've never written anything in my life. Yes. No, I had... I had um, some good credibility going in, and that that really helped a lot. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't have done that without without the track record from from my journalism days. So that was very useful. Um, did you know we were talking about sort of avoiding um, any habits you had as a reporter with or or. I, yeah, I, I I don't know exactly how to how to set this up, but but essentially what I'm asking is if your experience as a reporter um, informed your writing, despite your efforts to find your own voice and and get into storytelling mode um, more than being a reporter. And I'm thinking in terms of um, being concise. Yes, um, in fact. One of Robin Cook's comments to me was that I uh, write like with a scalpel. Yes, I can't write long. I mean, 30 or 40 years as a journalist uh, really teaches you to be concise. You don't, because you lose readers in a newspaper if you go on too long or too boringly. So, yes, I think, I think uh, being concise and, and, and precise really helped. Also, I write fast. And that's something that journalists tend to do. So that was that was a real help. Um, I didn't really belabor things in the actual writing. Where I belabored things was in trying to in the chronology of the story and realizing what had to come first and what had to come later and who knew what when. That's sort of the big question. Um, yeah, because because uh, the, the inverted pyramid doesn't really apply. Doesn't apply at all. It's almost <laughs> a, a, Almost a regular, you know, tip of the point of the pyramid on top, and the, <laughs> the bulk of it on the bottom. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it, it's very it's very different from journalism, including the fact that journalism really does get after the truth. <laughs> I mean, my my book is truthful in the sense that the science is absolutely correct. Um, it's it's what what is done with it, um, you know, for evil. Whereas most scientists are trying to use CRISPR for good, although not all. Not all. You might remember that Chinese guy uh, a few years ago. Um, his name was, I have it right here, Hei Jiang Qiu. He, um, in 2018, um, he, he horrified lay people and the scientific community because he used CRISPR to genetically alter a gene in the embryos of twin girls. Uh, the goal, according to him, was to uh, make them resistant to HIV/AIDS, but uh, it, everybody was outraged because he didn't follow the normal protocols of informed consent and, and institutional review of what he was doing and whether it was ethical. And and um, you know, you, you, this was just completely outside the the bounds of normalcy. And he actually ended up in house arrest for several years, which he should have. Um, so, you know, not everybody is a good guy. Although I think most people are, and certainly most scientists are. Where do ethicists fall on the idea of um, fighting disease preemptively? 
That is a very good question um, and, a, and an open question. Um, you asked me about ethicists, but what comes to mind is James Watson, one of the co-discoverers of DNA, and he has come out very strongly in kind of uh, let's go gangbusters. And his one of his arguments is if you know how to take out the gene or genes that cause schizophrenia, wouldn't it be unethical to not use that technology? And that's a, that's a, an interesting point. Um, but most ethicists at the moment are much more um, muted in their in their uh, view. And it's kind of the idea that if you can do something on, in the cells of the body that won't be passed on to future generations, that and you're only helping that particular patient or that group of patients with the same disease, um, that's that's good. And in fact, there are hundreds of trials going, clinical trials going on now in this country. Doing anything with embryos or sperm and eggs, traits that could be modified for future generations, that's a no-no, um, at least so far. <laughs> so it's um, it gets very tricky. Um, but but there, I don't want to leave people with the sense that this is all bad news because I actually see it as good news. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of um, people really. Uh, doing good things with CRISPR for sickle cell anemia, which is a horribly painful disease that affects mostly African Americans, uh, cystic fibrosis. There was a group of scientists in Oregon who cured a man uh, with blindness, with an uh, inherited form of blindness. And um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tremendously good stuff going on, um, but there is the chance that that some People like this Chinese guy could use it for evil, and and my my evil geneticist. If um, I've I've talked to some doctors and researchers who have have talked about the possibility, well, actually the practice of using um, DNA, like family DNA analysis to predict the likelihood of certain kinds of defects, not birth defects, but heart disease, cancers, right. and other things that might come up in a person's life that's based on, on heredity. And yeah. they say that it's it's a marvelous uh, predictive kind of uh, uh, research that allows them to watch certain patients and treat certain things early. Um, it, it seems like it might not be that much of a leap for people to start pressing for doing something about it early. Yes, and the, the, that's, that's one, yeah, and, and if that's sort of a relatively benign intervention, that seems good, like if you should avoid certain foods or certain whatever, uh, that could be good. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, if you you find out that your DNA predisposes you to, um, well, diabetes would be good to know about, but say heart disease or something, I mean, do you really want to know, or, or cancer, do you really want to know that you're a cancer, a potential cancer patient? Do you want that, that cloud hanging over your head? Um I don't know, and and the testing can sometimes be wrong. What if what if they they tell you you're you're going to die at forty, and and you don't? <laughs> You've spent your first forty years worrying about it, and the test was wrong. I mean, it it there's a whole lot of 
possibilities that can happen. And, you know, that's why it's a good idea if you're going to go down this route to uh, consult with, a, you know, professional genetic counselor because there's a lot of decisions and you can't unknow anything. That That's, you know, that's a problem. So do you want to know? Uh, and you might, you know, if, if it turns out you're predisposed to heart disease, you might take better care of yourself. Um, or you might give up fatalistically and say, what the hell, I'm just going to, you know, I'm doomed, I'll eat whatever I want. Um, human behavior is pretty complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Um, Judy, you mentioned that you're already working on another book. Um, is uh-huh. Are these complete standalones? You said this one was very different than the, the, the new one was very different than the one that's out now. Cold. Yeah, you know, I wrestled with that. Yes, they're both standalones, um, but there is a character, a journalist uh, in the first book who's kind of the star, and she is also going to appear in the second book. Um, so I, I thought, yeah, if I want to write a series, I'd like to have them be a lot of a lot of mystery writers, you know, carry a character forward to different uh, to different books. And I thought, well, that's kind of a useful vehicle. Uh, and you can sort of refer briefly to her past exploits, and then then she has a new problem to solve. Um, so yes, it uh, it's it's a sort of a second in a series, but the content, the plot is very different so far. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, the name of the book that's out now is CRISPRed, a medical thriller. Um, it actually uh, comes out today, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, it's uh, written by uh, former Boston Globe health columnist Judy Foreman, who is my guest. Judy, I want to thank you for spending time with me and the listeners this morning. But as I do with all my guests, I want to make sure you get an opportunity to share with listeners where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. You mentioned a website earlier. Would you like to share that again? Yes, it's uh, judyforman.com, J-U-D-Y-F as in Frank, O-R-E-M-A-N.com. And you can get the book on Amazon uh, as of today. And the people who pre-ordered have already gotten their books. I'm getting a lot of emails. So I hope you enjoy it, all your listeners. Um, and if you do, say something on Amazon. How How is the feedback so far? Well, it's <laughs> it's just coming out today. So uh, the the people who have pre-ordered it, I'm getting emails saying they, they can't wait to read it. So that's good. Uh, the people who have read it have really liked it. So that's very encouraging. Did you know um, as you were writing this book or, or when did you know there was going to be the next book? Um, when I found myself thinking the old life question, what next? <laughs> said, okay. <laughs> I'll keep writing because <laughs> it's fun. I enjoy it. You know, it 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 gives me. I like thinking about it, and I like doing it. Um, you know, I have a lot of other things I do as well. So there are times when I don't touch it for a week or two, but then I I get back into it, and it's it's fun to have that ongoing project. I enjoy that. Well, Judy, it's been a real pleasure meeting you and getting a chance to talk with you a little bit. Thank you again, and keep up the good work. Thank you. I really enjoyed your questions. Take care. Bye-bye. 
That was uh, Judy Foreman, uh, former Boston Globe Health columnist and the author of three works of nonfiction, but her new book, which uh, comes out today, February 15th, 2022, is uh, called CRISPRed, A Medical Thriller. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
the Tom Sumner Program.com. Hi, this is Joe Biden from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or slugger's disease, John Bickerson had finally consented to allow Dr. Hershey to relieve his condition. In room 113 at the General Hospital, Mrs. Bickerson watches anxiously as a surgical nurse ministers to poor John, who is suffering an attack the night before the operation. Listen. Oh, it's like being married to a steam shovel nurse. Cough's normal. Enjoy yourself, dear. Dr. Hershey's waiting for you in the corridor, Mrs. Bickerson. Oh, hello, doctor. Is he resting? I gave him a sedative. That'll quiet him down. Well, he isn't very quiet. Oh, well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. I won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatsoever. Will it hurt him? Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula. I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hershey, but how much will it cost? The fee will be $50 with the anesthetic. How much is it without the anesthetic? I would say about $40. Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic? Not for me, there wouldn't. I wouldn't advise the operation without it. And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first thing about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll just stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything. Oh, I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John, wake up! What's the matter, Blanche? Uh, What's the matter, huh? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, and I I hung up... John! We're in the hospital. What for? Is somebody sick? No. You're going to have an operation. Dr. Hershey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then what did you wake me up now for? Well, you were snoring, and I was afraid you'd wear it off before he got a chance to operate. You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose I want to sleep, too? You're not sleeping here, are you? Yes, I am. It costs another $5 to put another cart in the room. I... And I intend to use it. I can't get one night's sleep. Where's my nightgown? Not night even gown? in the hospital. I don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do this. I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress. What are you going on about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around with a short uvula. Don't be so crabby. I'm not crabby. I'm just sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling with that mirror and put out the lights? I have to get undressed, don't I? Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't even know you had bald eyelids. My eyelids are not bald. 
It's just that my lashes are short, and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. What kind of a remark is that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair? It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. I have to wear it for the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Oh, darn it, I can't get out of this dress. Blanche, what are those things? Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before? Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chairs. What about it? That's you all over, Blanche. No one can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now? Yes, dear. I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little? No, put out the lights. Oh, I wanted to glance at the paper first. You go ahead and go to sleep. I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home. Well, I won't be a minute. No one would believe this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest, and here I'm... Shh! I can't concentrate with you mumbling. (laughs) There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk. Listen to what's... Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hershey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. Oh, that's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. I see the stock market is going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year? Ten shares. Kentucky Salt Peterman's preferred stock. My brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is that now? In the ground. I can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Are you getting relaxed, dear? No, now I'm starting to get nervous. I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think? We'll, uh, sneak out, huh? No. I think you should make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercies of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, they'll... Don't talk like that. Can't you say pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother. You could be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. Every man should make out a will. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. Get up now. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, and make out a will. Well, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You are the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything besides you. Okay, so now... You've got it all, my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief, marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hershey. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. 
He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money. He'll drive around my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, <laughs> loaf around like the French, never do a day's work. Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? And then screaming like that. Push up and go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. I'm a nervous wreck. She practically walks me into a funeral. Mary's a doctor behind my back. Now she tells me to go to sleep. <sighs> I'll never sleep another wink as long as I... John, the telephone. The telephone. Answer no. it! No. Who, who the dickens is calling? Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get up for? It's right on the night table beside your bed. I thought I was... Uh... Hello? Mrs. Renesses? This is your maternity nurse. You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby in. What? Blanche, how long have I been here? Isn't he 413? I don't know what this is, but I'm not feeding any babies. A way to run a hospital. It's just a mistake, John. No, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser. Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away. The turkey would gobble? I can just see... Turkey? What turkey? Well, I was going to surprise you. I won a turkey in a raffle, John. You've got a live turkey running around the house? He isn't running around. I've got him tied to your bed. On my bed? What'd you do that for? I'll have the whole thing full of feathers. What'll we do with a live turkey? Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner. I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation. I don't think I want you to have it. What's the least I can do for you? Kept you awake all these years with my snoring, and when Dr. Hershey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse. But if you stop snoring, I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we? That's right. Well, that settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John. Why not? It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on, we're going home. I give up. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah 
my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>